if Maury supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Yeah, there you go. Sending out good vibes. All the sun gets credit for is ultraviolet heating of the atmosphere. The x-rays of the solar flares currently aren't in there. The actual particles that the sun blasts out in those eruptions and the constant solar wind which bombards Earth 24 hours a day. These things are not taken into effect. Okay guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Um, Friday, episode 355, it's the last show. And our episode a day for five days, celebrating our sixth anniversary special. This will be Ben Davidson. Um, unfortunately, after this week, we're going to go back to a show a week. That's going to seem slow for you guys. But hey, if everyone heads over to grindamerica.ca slash support, maybe we could weasel out a way to, uh, to do more shows. Uh, this week's going to be Ben Davidson. For that, we're going to everyone's favorite co-host here, Graham Liberatheus Dunlop. Liberate this. Anybody <laughs> liberate this? <laughs> so, yeah, we have a great chat with Ben. It's interesting because uh, Randall's becoming more. So we were just in Colorado with Randall Carlson for a ten day event, and he's becoming more interested in the sun, and that's going to be one of the topics of his new research, which is fantastic. Because I think we're going to try and. Uh, well, I think he's been on a show with Ben before. Actually, he was on a show with Ben, so he's he's communicating with Ben about all this stuff. We talked to Ben about. Uh, Micronovas and oh geez, yeah, the, also the creation of NASA and some and some uh, involvement in the government, the CIA, with some uh, catastrophe models from uh, from back in the I think in the sixties or seventies, maybe even earlier than that. It's interesting. Uh, we get into dark matter and cosmo- cosmological physics level, and you know the IPCC as well. So, yeah, super interesting stuff. I'd like to, I mean, this, this is one of the things I'd like to spend more time researching. It's just hard when you got, uh, you know, so many podcasts to look at. So many podcasts, so little time. I think this is going to be some of the really leading edge science coming up about, you know, looking past, being able to look back, back in the past and see the cycles and, you know, realize how, like, for example, we might be going into <laughs> a little ice age despite all the global warming stuff. Did you know that last year was the coldest and wettest American weather from October to May ever? And I think in recorded history since back in the 1800s, coldest no. and wettest. Where'd you hear that? YouTube. Sounds like fake news. Yeah. YouTube. Just YouTube? That's all you got? I can't remember the exact guy. <laughs> you really got to start. Remembering the exact guy, you can't just be random. You you can't just be getting your. I saw the charts and graphs and stuff. I don't think that's fake news. Like that's not fake news. Well, that's because it's confirmation bias. What? Could be. I'm just saying it could be. That's a measurement they take. It's like from that October to May all the time. <laughs> when your argument is makes sense to me, <laughs> it just leaves a lot of room. It felt for... cold and wet. What? It felt cold and wet. Yeah. Well, I mean, wonder what ours was like. That's the American measurements. It was cold as fuck. 
here. It was cold. Yeah. I think, was it this year or last year that was the coldest, no, it was this year, it was the coldest sustained cold for in 25 years. Well, so there you go. Where'd you hear that? Uh, the news. So it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They had the, they had some graphics up there and everything. Hey, when CNN does... <laughs> Are you, uh, <laughs> let's change the subject. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go to social media. Right, we got from pen, <laughs> triggered again. We got from pen 15 pouncer. Holy shit. These boys look nothing like I was imagining. Oh boy. From Steve Bjornison or whatever. S-T-V-B-R-N-S-N. Darren, I love how you get flustered and sometimes mention when Graham chimes in unannounced. Graham, keep chiming in unannounced. <laughs> what? What? what <clears throat> how do I chime in unannounced? Oh, on the intro? On the intro. Oh, that's funny. <clears throat> I'm trying. John Arbuckle. <laughs> that's a great name. You know John Arbuckle? Do I know him personally? That's Garfield's owner. Oh, I don't know that. Huh. Aquatic apes are probably what are known as aliens. Dolphin men. Do aquatic ape theory. That was with the ex-Nazi. Oh, yeah, was it? I think so. Oh. The real ex-Nazi, like not just the ex-Nazi so you can punch him in the face Nazi? Yeah. Uh, on the live stream of John McAfee. From Big, Sa Big Sadie. Guy sure scratches like Coco the monkey. Nose has had one long paper route, feel like. <laughs> I almost am looking at Artie Lang. How does the biggest computer hacker on the planet have a microphone that sounds like his microphone is kissing his hiney hole? This guy goes big time, whatever he does. He wanted to go fast. He built a lab and bought a scientist island police department. Then tweaky and when, I don't even, I can't, it gets unreadable after that. It doesn't even make sense. This guy's, it, was, it was pretty good to start. It ends with, this guy is definitely not a rookie at anything, except microphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alan Green returns to McGrimerica. That Jason Louv sinker was fantastic. One of my favorite guests, a badass live stream, sick visuals. I'm so glad to be a Grimerica supporter. Grimerica.ca slash support. Uh... So, from Ceramics for Life. So satisfying to see you all using my ceramics. They are microwave, oven, freezer, and dishwasher safe. That's these cups, eh? Dunlap? I got it. Yeah. Uh, from Brooke Dodson. Fascinating. My sonnets copy of a copy from 1609 were not to be sold by William Elsby, but to be sold by John Wright Dwelling. Hard return and missed space intended at Christchurch Gate. Hard return. Uh, I don't know what that means. Anyway, what do you got? I got some quotes for you, buddy. <clears throat> Out of my favorite quote book, The Octopus of Global Control by Charlie Robinson. Oh, here we go. You like this one. We need more people calling out the climate change scam. This religion is growing. How about this one? How about this guy calling out the climate change scam? Anthropogenic climate change is a geostrategic weapon. Who said that? 
He's big. Um, what's his name? Uh, I bet it was Glenn Beck. No, he's bigger than Glenn. Bigger Alex Jones. No, shirtless in the tundra. Bear Grylls. No, I don't know. Putin. Oh, nice. Oh boy. It is desirable that redistribution should you occur. You think Putin's bigger than? <laughs> then who? Then all those guys you Who was the first person that said? Glenn Beck. You think Putin's bigger than Beck? Physically? No, he's a small guy. He's bigger than you. I don't think so. Not heavier. <laughs> <laughs> it is desirable that redistribution... Putin is definitely bigger and heavier than you. No, I don't think so. Someone get me the stats on Putin. I'll see if I can set up a fight between <laughs> you and Putin. It is desirable that redistribution should occur through climate change policy. You should probably let him win. Oh, that's Cass Sunstein, former White House of Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Cass Sunstein. Yeah, he was on, yeah he's the guy I wrote the cons read the conspiracy <laughs> paper from. He was on uh, Thaddeus' oh, he was on Thaddeus's show. It was interesting. Wasn't nearly Ooh. as propaganda as, as as I thought it would be. Maybe we could get our buddy Thaddeus to <clears throat> hook us up with a couple of guests. I don't want to talk to them. Cass, you don't want to talk to Cass Sunstein or no. anyone that Thaddeus talked to. <laughs> Okay, here's another quote. Oh, this will be good. See, okay, let's see if you get this. I've been hearing all this hooting and hollering from the liberals about how George Bush. <laughs> no. Well, about if you don't want me to guess early, don't try doing an impersonation. I'm not trying to do an impersonation. <laughs> About how CO2 is going up to the levels we haven't seen in five million years. Al Gore. But the truth is, life was pretty good millions of years ago. There were plenty of plants and animals back then, and we did just fine in the heat. And as the earth starts to warm up, all our old friends will start coming back. The polar bears might die off, but think of all the dinosaurs we're going to get. But you don't hear the liberal lamestream media talk about that, do you? All you hear is doom and gloom. The sky is falling. Personally, I can't wait to see what a triceratops looks like in real life. I don't know what to say. Sarah, Sarah Palin. That was your Sarah Palin accent. It's pretty good. Okay, let me let me read this one because this is kind of more Ben Davidson. And no accent system. More Ben Davidson-ish. It's like the worst accent I've ever heard. As we get farther away from the Earth, we'll pass through the Van Allen radiation belts, an area of dangerous radiation. Radiation like this can harm the guidance systems, onboard computers, and other electronics on Orion. Naturally, we have to pass through this danger zone twice. Why do you keep going into character? <laughs> once up and once back. But Orion <laughs> has protection. Shielding will be put up to test as the vehicle cuts through waves of radiation. Sensors aboard will record radiation levels for scientists to study. We must solve these challenges before we send people through this region of space. That's Kelly Smith, the NASA engineer, discussing the upcoming Orion missions. I thought that was going to be different. Have you been, like, auditioning for a play or something? Well, no, probably more like D&D &D practice. Is this it, your D&D? &D? <laughs> you do characters in D&D? &D? <laughs> something is starting to spill through for sure. <laughs> 
It's like you can't even help it. This my could next, be a problem. My next character is a cowboy. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have a cowboy character. I don't like guns in the D&D world either. You like, the, but some guys do what? Like they'd be shooters. You like the ten scene though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, support the show, guys. Filmmaker.ca/support. Um, Did I read the other one from Upside Down Thinking? I don't know. Did you, cowboy? Do you want me to Are read you going to go into character again? Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see what happens when you read this. <clears throat> well, this is kind of. Uh, now that I'm in your head. This is Larry Dossie summarizing Schwartz's work. Larry who? Larry Dossie. Okay. And Schwartz was a, a formal spe special assistant to the chief of naval operations. <laughs> He's been exploring remote viewing. Schwartz is perhaps best known for his role in developing remote viewing. To locate and reconstruct archaeological sites around the world many of which have eluded discovery for centuries. These include expeditions to Grand Bahama to find the location of the Brig Leander, to Jamaica with the Institute for Nautical Archaeology to survey St. Anne's Bay and locate the site of Columbus's sunken caravel, which his fourth and last voyage into Alexandria, Egypt, which resulted in the first modern mapping of the eastern harbor of Alexandria and the discovery of numerous shipwrecks. The Egyptian venture also resulted in the discovery of Mark Antony's place in Alexandria, the Ptolemaic palace complex of Cleopatra and the remains of the lighthouse of the pharaohs, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Nice reading. <laughs> you're hyper-focused on what you're saying. I like that. Maybe this could be a thing for a couple episodes, I think. Uh, that was like a little thing there that really got in your head. So, I was just trying to make it through. That's it. It's okay. <laughs> that was it. It's okay. Just trying to make it through another one. It's okay, partner. Howdy. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks, guys, for hanging with us uh, through the episode of Day for a Week. Um, celebrate six years. Thanks for hanging out for six years. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, support the show. The, the show. Thanks for listening to the show. If you can find it in your heart, head over to growamerica.ca slash support and sign up for the team. Come remember the team, support us, and uh, support our endeavors and help us pay the bills and grow. I got an email here about the black budget. What the fuck? Hey, we should read it. All right. Hey, guys, you put an interview up on YouTube. It's probably taken down by now. Obvious. Which was from your Black Budget support feed. It was a laid-back conversation covering many topics. The guest was talking about various political groups in the U.S. that are not very helpful to us, to put it in a nice way. I heard a name mentioned, and it caught my attention. I had known this guy. I had worked on his local uh, political campaign here in Virginia in the 90s. I thought he was a good guy. <laughs> That's when I decided I had to send you a donation to get Black Budget support feed. I would have never heard of this information on a regular interview. I thought about helping the show for a long time, but don't have a lot of extra cash. I want to encourage everyone who loves the show like I do to send a little donation now and then. I disagree with the person who was offending, offended with Darren's comment about stealing the black budget feed. 
you make it clear that if you support the show in any way, you get a little bonus. If you don't support the show but get the feed, you are stealing. You guys have read my emails twice on the broadcast, and I had broadcast, and I appreciate it. One of them was about a lucid dream where I'd realized I was dreaming and got kicked out of the dream. <clears throat> it was about playing cards with cowboys in the old west. Yeah. Is that a synchro or what? I don't know. Not a good one. I haven't heard of any more dreams like that one. Especially not the way you tried to force in this email while I'm trying to end No, the... I didn't. I haven't read it. Okay, it comes across I, as sketchy. When I can, I'll send a couple a few times more... you've come across as sketchy on the synchro front. Now you hear when I... <laughs> <laughs> when I can, I'll send in a few more dollars. Feel free to share this email and keep up the good work. All right, y'all. <laughs> you spent too long in the States. Oh, thanks, Mickey B. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. I think I caught you when we were down there. The accent creeping in. No, really? It happens. You when, think? When you get around a bunch of people speaking with an accent. Yeah, totally. You start to speak a little slower yourself. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that wraps up our week, show a day for a week. Celebrate our sixth anniversary. Thank you, you guys. Thank you to us. Thank you to all the guests. Thank you, listeners. Buddy. Yeah. For America.ca slash support, one time donation or sign up for a monthly. Get the black budget feed. Be awesome. Um, anything else? That's about it. That's about it. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat. Ben Davidson. got ben davidson back it's been four years already since we've had him here and he's an independent researcher he's a founder or co-founder of spaceweather.news uh, spaceweathernews.com the mobile observatory project suspiciousobservers.org which also has quakewatch.net under it doing lots of good research it's on youtube pretty much daily i believe and it's good to have you back there ben thanks for joining us absolutely it's good to be back and uh, indeed Suspicious Observers channel on YouTube is uh, pretty much the doorway to all of those wonderful things you just mentioned, and it's absolutely free. So that's uh, that's where I recommend everybody get started. Yeah, that's great. I thought I'd just run over those at a high level because it kind of uh, describes uh, the research that you do, and then we can sort of dig into it a little bit more. But yeah, like the Earth, the Earthquake Watch and the Space Weather News. And we've been following you, and uh, our friend Adam here as well has been following your work, especially when it uh, he's been trying to monitor his migraines and your and your research. So I got some questions about that later, but I think it's worth because it's been so long and you've been doing so much work over the last uh, 
four years still, maybe we should just do a little summary about, uh, you know, what, what you're observing every day and you do the, the daily weather forecast and all that, uh, and how you're sort of, you know, tying that whole thing together. Right. Well, so, uh, there's the daily news, there's the research, and then there's the outreach. Okay, that's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, so the, the daily news, it's everything uh, about the sun and how it's affecting earth weather, uh, earthquakes, uh, even volcanoes, how it affects human health and technology. Um, we live on an electrodynamic planet. We are electromagnetic biological creatures, and uh, our technology runs on electricity. So... <laughs> The sun is critically important to all these things, uh, all the all of the quote anomalies, glitches, random things that happen, um, even down to bit flips really are not so random, actually. Um, all of these things correlate very well to the sun, and it's very nice to actually watch all these things play out time after time when the sun does something and then you see the series of events on Earth. Uh, it also tends to cover the science and space news relevant to everything from the particle physics to the large-scale cosmology of the universe. Um, and that's really where uh, the research can be found at, at those other scales, basically where you break out from the, the daily news. So we've published on how the sun triggers the largest earthquakes on the planet. The initial research was done with Dr. Uyen from NASA and Dr. Holloman, a stats professor from Ohio State. Um, we actually just uh, did the follow-up study this year, uh, working to finish up some final points on the paper, but it was uh, another dramatic su uh, success. Uh, in terms of the sun's effect on the weather, um, our student, Ferris Wald, uh, did a sun cyclone project, and he won the National Science Championship for, for the United States in, uh, in something uh, for middle school. It's what's called the Broadcom Masters Championship. And he's now at the, at the Google uh, World Championship level, and he advanced into the top 100 in the world. Wow. Our textbook, Weatherman's Guide to the Sun, is now being used in a couple of uh, college-level classes. And uh, hopefully there'll be a couple more uh, when next semester rolls around. Uh, so we consider a lot of that a success. Um, branching off from the whole electromagnetic connection to the weather and to the earthquakes, there has been a, a phenomenal amount of actual mainstream science uh, jumping on board with this, uh, not only in uh, promoting the ideas of this young student, Ferris Wald, who's absolutely wonderful. And uh, it, it was great to meet him just a few months before he actually started winning all these championships and uh, learn about how his whole family is into the show and, and, and learning these things. Um, but so the, the IPCC, which is the global climate group, they're going to allow uh, a certain amount of solar data in that wasn't allowed in before. And so there's a recognition there that's nice. China and Italy launched the electro uh, the seismo electromagnetic satellite to detect pre-earthquake electromagnetic anomalies. A couple of them uh, could be derived from the sun and are uh, very much related to the studies that we published. And one of the members on the team actually peer-reviewed that paper of ours. So uh, it, we may actually uh, have had a, had a role on that satellite parameter. But the most fun part has been the part where everyone still thinks we're crazy, and that's at the, that's at the cosmological physics level. Um, I'm going to just sit here and tell you right now, dark matter is not real. It is the most expensive and 
soon to be embarrassing failure in the history of physics. Um, it is literally just dust and plasma, like electrons, uh, ions, things like that, that we just can't see very well. And their electric and magnetic effects on, on the surrounding material. And it should be blatantly obvious, but, um, you know, people in different departments at the same university barely talk to each other, let alone people across different fields at different uh, universities and at NASA and all the different organizations all over the world. And they've literally put all of the puzzle pieces out there, uh, but nobody's put it all together yet. And they're all just spending billions of dollars every year looking for dark matter, um, which is sort of like a, a nice little running joke that we have because there's basically a paper out almost every day about, hey, we, we looked in this area or in this energy range for dark matter and we didn't find it. And so it's kind of like the running joke. I think we're up to like 290 some papers in the last uh, two years or so. So it, it's a lot of fun. We we do have a lot of fun, but we also um, get people engaged. We do a lot of information sharing and um, you know, through the through the app that we have, through our website, and through our annual conference, uh, it um, it really uh, it really has become a thing where people can actually engage with this stuff at a level that they can actually understand and consume and make relevant for their lives. Speaking of conferences, by the way, you guys should uh, you guys should be the Canadia representation at the uh, conferencia <laughs> for for us next year. Um, we we've never had any uh, an official Canada representation before. Um, there you go. Where is it? It's going to be in Denver, actually, oh, nice. in August of 2020. Okay, cool. We have a couple years in a row had uh, somebody request to be the official uh, Mexican radio uh, representation. I don't know if you guys know Alec Bachman down on the other side of the states from you guys, but. Uh, I think I've heard uh, we, we a lot of people have heard of him actually, uh, you know, and we've had a lot of people say, "Where's where's the where's the Canada representation?" So well, uh, any excuse to go to Denver sounds like a plan to me. Right, I'm, I'm and, driving uh, down the next month, so I'm I'm I've heard Utah is beautiful. So I mean, 2020 is plenty of time to plan a trip. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so what did you guys really have in mind to talk about today? Well, I mean, all that, that was a great summary of everything. I mean, some of my questions were already being answered. Like I was going to ask you about the sun and it seems like it's underrated and overlooked quite often, but you've mentioned how much that's changed over the last couple of years. It seems like people are paying attention now. So that's a good thing, especially if the, you know, if the IPC is going to start to allow that to be at least, you know, acknowledged. Right. Um, so far, the, the actual data set that people can use has been in existence um, for about two years. Uh, haven't seen it used a whole lot yet, but one is hopeful that it'll be used more soon. That's good. So I do want to, so I'd like to get into a little bit more details about how you, how you monitor the sun. And then I'd also like to ask a bit about Micronovas and some of the cycles that you're one of your YouTube um, playlists talks about, which is pretty, it's pretty fascinating and important uh, to me. Right. Absolutely. So, so how can you explain to people how you monitor the sun and how it, you can really see through your lens and all that kind of stuff, uh, exactly what's not exactly, but you know, what's happening with the solar flares and stuff like that and, and how that, uh, you're measuring that and then correlating that to the things that are happening on earth. Right. So, um, 
there are a number of ways to to monitor the sun. Uh, the the prettiest and most detailed way is obviously through some of the um, hundreds of millions of dollars satellites that are existing up there. But it's amazing what can be done from the ground as well. And we do use uh, white light filters, basically um, approximately the same grade as a welder's lens to block out the the, the glare. And we I also have an H alpha scope uh, as well. A lot of folks, thousands of them across the uh, across North America and across the world actually have uh, been posting daily photos, daily videos, things like that. And so uh, it's always nice to get that ground based confirmation of what you're seeing on the satellites. Um, but what we really are able to be looking for are our two main features on the sun. And that it, those are sunspots and coronal holes. Sunspots are the areas you might have heard about before. These produce solar flares. These blast out huge amounts of energy. And coronal holes, they, um, when you're looking in very specific wavelengths of light, they can look very, very dark, like a hole, like you're looking down through the atmosphere of the sun. Um, in in white light, and you know how we see with our eyes, it doesn't look that way. But those are areas where. The sun's magnetic fields actually stream all the way out through the planets past Pluto. And the, these are phenomenally powerful magnetic fields, as you might be able to imagine. And they do uh, come by and interact with the Earth from time to time um, in, in a minor way about every uh, eight minutes and in a fairly significant way about once every two weeks or so. Uh, and so these are these are what we monitor and it is in the activity of the sunspots and in the activity of the coronal holes that we notice the correlation with the activity of the earthquakes and the activity of the weather. Uh, what we've called earth spots actually uh, correlate well with sunspots uh, behaviorally uh, and characteristically, they're very much the same. And so here's what I mean by that. Yeah. Uh, a, a sunspot is basically a storm on the sun it is an area that is more electrodynamic than the surrounding areas it is constantly flashing with these low-level electrical events that we call nano flares they kind of look like lightning and when it really goes boom it releases a solar flare which is high energy x-rays and sometimes gamma rays uh, and blast that energy out into space. On Earth, we have these things called storms, thunderstorms, and they're the most electrodynamic things in the atmosphere around them, certainly more so than the, the calm region 200 miles south or whatever. Uh, they are constantly flashing with low-level lightning, and when they really go boom, they can release uh, a sprite, uh, which is basically an upper atmospheric discharge from from below from the lightning and what's known as a terrestrial gamma flash which is actual gamma high energy gamma rays that are produced and blasted out into space basically an earth flare instead of a solar flare uh, we notice this activity uh and the actual way you would characterize a sunspot and the earthly storms are not only similar but their behavior is temporally time is temporally linked up and what i mean by that is in time so things happen on the sun 
we see them happening with the earth storms as well. And it's not just when it happens, but it's the quiet periods as well. Things go quiet on the sun and things seem to go a little bit quieter on the earth as well. And these are the kind of things that we didn't expect to see. We just sort of couldn't help but notice tracking these sorts of things every single day. Uh, the correlations really became quite obvious. And it was those correlations that really led to everything else. And the understanding of how they must work, which led to the larger ideas about the cosmos and the universe, because um, for the sun to be doing what it's doing, a lot of what they think about the Earth, the sun, the solar system, the galaxy, and beyond is very, very wrong. Yeah. And it turns out that there's been a phenomenal amount of people who've been saying that for quite some time. Um, professors emeritus, distinguished professors, um, people who work for the national labs, uh, Los Alamos, Lawrence Livermore, really? SLAC, Princeton. Um, they're still very much a minority, uh, as is the grant money for the non-dark matter crowd. <laughs> but um, the fact is that this information is there, and they too, unfortunately, because of their um, non-adherence the mainstream, they are somewhat isolated and they have to act a little bit like islands. They don't all come together and write papers very often. And so you have to be following all of them and what they're pointing out and what they're noticing about observations and little things that they're saying, hey, you shouldn't be ignoring this. You have to account for all the evidence or you need a different model or at least a tweak or an addition or something. And it's through literally the the surveys of these dozens to hundreds of people that you can really get a big picture of what's going on. It's it's what the kids in school are supposed to be doing, except they, uh, you know, I, I can't disagree with learning the foundation and learning the steps and all of that, but you just have to learn so much nonsense along the way. Um, the history of science is two things. One, we know the answer, followed by two, we got it wrong, we need to change things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I love that part. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, I love, that's why we love doing this show is we get to talk to people like yourself that are putting all the puzzle pieces together, you know, taking all those different areas of science and making more of a coherent picture for us to see. Right. So the, the earth spots and the sunspots, they're correlated as, is, are they happening at the same time or are they, are the earth spots happening because of the sunspots? Um, they, they appear to be, um, time just afterwards okay uh, sometimes you can see them happening at the same time but that's sort of approximate you know you have this idea oh this sunspot formed at some point this morning on the sun and uh this tropical storm also had a rapid intensification at some point uh. this and you know uh we know when it started intensifying according to the ultraviolet light and maybe in terms of the x-ray energy but for all we know, the electric currents running through the actual uh, solar atmosphere were changing and the magnetic fields were changing hours before that. So um, it's tough to really know. And the strongest solar flaring sunspot groups, they're always right on the edge of the regions that stream those fields out through the solar system, the ones that end up coming by and smacking Earth every once in a while. And when they go boom, they, uh, you know, or, or even when they get, you know, really active, uh, those 
have really these direct magnetic connections to all of the planets and are able to really directly affect them uh, electromagnetically, which is what they're going to start allowing into the discussion here. They have so, so far to go. Um, you know, they're, they're currently just at a qualitative level, like, oh, we notice when the sun does this over a certain number of years, El Ninos tend to occur and they tend to be more uh, powerful. Or uh, we notice more precipitation or more cloud cover when when the sun enters its 11-year minimum period, things like that. Mm-hmm. What they haven't fully wrapped their heads around is the fact that electric current moving through pretty much any medium is going to produce heat. And so all of this energy that they say is being taken in from the particle side, um, which is not part of any current climate models whatsoever, um, it goes through the atmosphere, it goes through this thing called the global electric circuit, where uh, current runs from the top of the sky down to the ground in high pressure, fair weather, sunny days, and in storms, low pressure, lightning events, tornadoes, earthquakes, it comes back up. Um, it can capacitize in cloud layers or in the crust, by the way. Uh, and so right now, all the sun gets credit for is ultraviolet heating of the atmosphere. The x-rays of the solar flares currently aren't in there. The actual particles that the sun blasts out in those eruptions and the constant solar wind, which bombards Earth 24 hours a day. Mm. These things are not taken into effect, and it's it's called ohmic heating, but and essentially uh, electric current going through any resistive medium is going to produce heat. Well, um, even a copper wire has a tiny amount of resistance, and so th- there really is no perfect um, perfect conductor like that um, that we could think of. Certainly not in the atmosphere. And so as this current is going, it's producing heat. And their key to understanding this and where they went wrong is they're knowing that lightning is as hot as the surface of the sun. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that fact, but, you know, the actual bolt of lightning can be as hot as the surface of the sun. And how they're missing the fact that all of the current that doesn't actually go in arc discharge mode like a lightning bolt that is constantly flowing through the atmosphere up and down, not to mention the um, the electric charge levels of the atmosphere. You know, there's there's tons of electric charge uh, the higher up you go in the atmosphere. Um, and so uh, they're just missing the fact that these things are producing heat and it's got to be an enormous fraction of the global energy budget. And it's just completely missing. Yeah. Uh, but they have a long way to go to get there. Yeah. So you mentioned like bit flips and, and glitches and stuff like that. Is that coming from like that two week, you know, where there's, you know, small things happen every few minutes, but larger things happen every couple of weeks. Does that, is that responsible for some things that we see in our day-to-day lives that we get frustrated with or that we don't understand what's happening, whether that be like personal health or electronics or... Certainly, there's a lot of things that happen on different time scales that matter. Um, for the one that you pointed out, you know, if something is maybe, you know, bothersome for a day here and there, or it's maybe bothersome for four or five days, 
you should be looking at the phi angle of the solar wind, which is, um, you know, it's very easy to find this. So at spaceweathernews.com, if we scroll down, I think about three or four lines, we get to the solar wind. And the second panel from the top is called the phi angle. And I usually uh, point this out whenever it's relevant in that daily show. Essentially, we go every two weeks from where those magnetic fields I mentioned, which are powerful enough to make it all the way out past Pluto, where they're streaming from the sun outward to they're streaming back in to the sun. It's a giant circuit. So, um, you know, on one hemisphere, all of the magnetic fields of the sun that stream away actually stream away. On the other hemisphere of the sun, all the ones that look like they're streaming away are actually streaming back to the sun. And whenever the sun actually flips its 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 magnetic fields, uh, as it does every sunspot cycle, um, then we actually do see that flip as well. And so this is a kind of energetic, a kind of magnetic change that is very subtle, but it also is very global um and it's tough to know um whether it would be the electric field that is surrounding the earth at that time or it's the specific frequencies at which the magnetic field is vibrating mm-hmm. both of those things could be interacting with earth mm-hmm. you mentioned the bit flips i'm pretty sure those are going to be cosmic rays which are going to require a major solar blast or total solar quiet so that they can come in and bombard us from the the galaxy and galaxies beyond as well because when the sun is really putting out electromagnetic energy it acts like an electromagnetic shield and we don't get as many of those cosmic rays and so um yeah there's a lot of different uh things to this there's there's things like um what go ahead What's this? Uh, I'm just on the space spaceweathernews dot uh, site, and I'm looking at the one graphic that's got like the it's sort of spinning around, and it's got these wave formations, and it's got all the different planets on it, and it looks like it's got a 24 day cycle or something like that. Right. It's uh, it's got about a 28 day cycle. Um, that's oh, yeah, called yeah. the that's called the Enlil spiral. Um, it's named after. The god Enlil, an ancient Sumerian god of wind and the breath of life. Um, that that's not a joke. That's what NASA named the thing. Um, and so uh, that that can actually show you the magnetic sectors too. Um, so you should be able to see. Um, I'm guessing you're looking at the density one there. So there should be about two bands of of higher density on that page. Or, or, or on that little graphic, if you're looking down from above, and so those two bands would be the the density shocks of the coronal holes, um, and basically the coronal holes delineate where the magnetism is flipping towards the sun, away from the sun, and so um, that would be one way to do it. Um, over to the left, and maybe you'd have to go up a little bit. You'll find the ACE and the Discover Solar Wind charts. Um, from top to bottom, it's um, you know the the BZ, the phi angle, and then the solar wind density, speed, and plasma temperature in Kelvin all the way down. So that's five things there. Um, it's 
it's the second one from the top. Um, yeah, I I'm think looking at that now. We got it up on the screen here now. I think it should be in blue, maybe. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. So essentially, 180 degrees on that is directly from the sun to the earth. Zero slash 360 being the same thing is directly from the earth back to the sun. Uh, I don't know why they sometimes scale it up to 400. It doesn't go up above 360 because it is a radial degrees type of thing. Which way are the magnetic fields going? Uh, and so <laughs> you can only go from zero to 360. Uh, but so this can tell you which direction the magnetic fields are pointing. Yeah, like right now it's going from Earth to the sun. Cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you often see this fluctuate very, very rapidly as well, especially when we're transitioning into one of those coronal hole sectors and, and we do get that. And so um, we have seen some things like uh, you mentioned uh, migraines, uh, headaches, uh, seizures. These things can be correlated with this, but also with major solar flares, uh, you know, and, and their occurrence. Uh, however, it's not until the actual effects on Earth, which we call the geomagnetic effects, which usually are two to three days later, that we see more of the stroke, the heart attack, the mental patients uh, having mental breaks, the autoimmune disorder flare-ups and things like that. Wow. And so um, it's not until we see what's known as a KP0 day, uh, which is basically the sun has been so quiet that there has been virtually zero magnetic activity uh, for 24 hours, and we notice that those are the days where we get the highest cosmic ray spikes, which tells us that it's not necessarily that something's happening in deep space. The sun just modulates it so much that when the sun goes quiet, here comes the the surge. It's almost like somebody dropped the wall on the dam. Uh, and so um, those are also the days when we notice the highest number of ambulance calls and the highest number of suicides and things like that. Wow. So um, – it's. I wish I could say it was something so simple where it's like, hey, is the sun active? Yes. Do you are you going to have mental or physical problems? Yes. It's. It's. What's your party? What's your flavor? What's your issue? What's the sun doing today? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what side of the sun are you on whenever it's flaring? That doesn't matter at a geomagnetic storm, however, because that's a global event. Same thing with cosmic rays; those tend to be global as well. Hmm. It matters. Um, what latitude you are you are in as well because um, the geomagnetic storms have a stronger effect at high latitude, and uh, some of the uh, some of the solar flare effects seem to have their strongest effects at lower latitudes. Um, so there's about fifty different questions for any for any different person with with any different concern in in this realm. Yeah, well, the one that you know that Adam, our buddy, was asking was. And my, my girlfriend gets migraines quite a bit as well, and, and so does Adam. And he was asking, like, could you build a Faraday cage to, to go into during these solar health events to prevent health effects? Like, would a magnetic flip or a micronova act the same on migraines? That kind of thing. Um, it might. Uh, I would say that um, if you're going to be that aware of things and you're going to be taking those actions, you're going to be uh, at risk of negative placeboing yourself into feeling something. I suggest you take the placebo effect and actually use that to your benefit. And so here's what I mean by that. So um, 
the placebo effect takes out billion dollar drugs in the FDA final stages of trial every single year. Uh, and it's literally just your brain thinks something. And all of a sudden, the rules of physics and chemistry that were once operating inside your body go out the window because of the brain waves that you have produced. A new reality has just been manifested by you. Now, I realize that sounds like magic, but it is the actual technical characterization of what happens in the very real placebo effect. You are magic. You have a harp between your ears. And um, this is really a powerful thing. And what you should remember is that the majority of the effects from these kinds of things, uh, this doesn't go for cosmic rays. Those present a completely different problem. Uh, but most of the things from the sun, they're affecting us at the energy or, or the wavelength realm rather than at the particle realm. Oh. And, and these, it's the same thing I, I tell people with, with 5G. Like, look, think about an atomic bomb and how much wave energy is in one actual tiny atom of matter. The placebo effect literally can, can take over and control your entire body. Trillions upon trillions upon trillions of atoms. Your, your mood and your magnetism can rub off on other people. Um, there's a reason why focus, meditation, prayer... Um, all of these things are are, are known to work. Um, and, you know, for, for some people, yeah, okay, maybe your God is answering your prayers. For, for the rest of us, it's a very real scientific electromagnetic thing. And so um, whether you're scared of 5G or you're scared of space weather, your fear is going to make it worse for you. So these things are kind of like peanuts. You know, it, it, we get solar flares in a big way every 11 years. So half the planet doesn't drop dead every 11 years. But so here's the deal. Some people are going to have a little bit of a little bit of a sensitivity to peanuts. Some people aren't due to a placebo effect. If you're really afraid and especially if you think affirmatively that something is going to be harmful to you, there's a much better chance of it being harmful to you. However, that can go the other way as well. And a lot of people suggest who have done, you know, the electric field and the frequency studies of the human body and this stuff suggest that the positive is much more powerful um, in terms of its ability to do things, even though people seem to find the negative easier to embrace. Um, I realize I'm, I'm kind of going off topic and I'm getting no, a little... No, 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 this is really good because it's, it, it, it crosses over a lot of stuff we talk about. No, right. But, you know, th this is all real. And so... Yeah, okay, there's going to be some people who have like a very, very strong sensitivity to 5G or to X-ray solar flares if they happen during the 11 to 1, uh, 11 a.m. to 1 o'clock position and they happen to be out sunbathing. Um, there's a whole lot of this that's the, the correlations that have been pulled out have been pulled out and are definitive, but they took thousands of people studied over you know, years to decades in some cases. Now, with that much data, yes, it is pretty certain that, that these correlations are real. But it basically means that, you know, when the sun is doing what it's normally doing and it's not at its, you know, worst, unless you've survived two heart attacks already and your doctor tells you, why do you not change your diet? And you say, because I don't want to and I want to eat this till the day I die. Um, this is actually the example I use. So let's say that you um, have survived two heart attacks. You know that 
at some point you're going to go from one. Um, your doctor has actually given you, um, you know, nitroglycerin or whatever it is that, that you're supposed to take if, you, if you're feeling something happening. Um, and you usually just don't listen, usually just shrug your doctor off. And, and you, you tell yourself, you know, if one gets really bad or, or maybe one day I will take this stuff if I'm really worried about it. And let's say that he knows that something's going on on the sun that day that's a major risk to him because he either watched our morning show or he has our app, um, which, by the way, I'm looking at our app right now just because uh, I knew I was going to mention it. And there is absolutely nothing going on in the sun right now. She is quiet. So that's nice. Um, but, you know, and then you let's say you're in that position and the sun's flaring big time and the earth is starting to undergo geomagnetic storms and you're starting to feel that pain and that pressure and that fear and that anxiety. Uh, maybe on that day you take the nitroglycerin. Or another good example is I I'm I got a tightroper in California who who watches me and he will only um, he will only do a tightrope over a potentially deadly fall if the geomagnetic index is somewhere between three and five mm. and um, that is you know somewhat fairly regular to low level storm conditions but he finds that. If there's too low-level magnetic activity, uh, he doesn't want to risk uh, the cognitive diminution uh, that comes along with that. Basically, it causes you to fuzz out the kind of stuff where um, you zone back in after reading a couple pages, and you're like, oh, man, I have to go back and reread that because I was not paying attention. Or it happens when you're driving, and then you wonder how you didn't crash a bunch of times in the last 10 minutes because you weren't paying attention. <laughs> Same kind of thing. Um, can happen during the most powerful solar events or during absolute solar quiet because of, you know, same idea. Well, that's interesting because there's a lot of, uh, like, part of the thing of the the secret, I guess. Or I mean, I like uh, Think and Grow Rich. It's coming up in the chats right now. I've seen it come by a couple of times. But it kind of it kind of goes by that, and I was actually talking to a friend of the show, Chris, just last week, um, about trying to sneak things into that, that subconscious mind and that's sort of where the magic happens. And it's sort of that, that way to describe it is sort of that brain, that the part of your brain that's driving the car or walking up the stairs or, you know, all that stuff that's sort of happening behind the scenes. If you can sort of get, if you can get your, your intention or your manifestation or whatever you want to call it into that sort of subconscious, that's when it really starts to affect reality. Yeah, the hard part about it is with people with, with migraines, like that's great advice. And I think it's, I agree with you, Ben. Um, but the difficulty with these things like migraines and autoimmune disorders and all these like really hard to diagnose and chronic issues, it's, it's so hard for people to, to come out of that with positive things. I mean, I know many people that are meditating, they're doing all these things, and it's still so difficult to, to overcome these, what feels like, like, purely physical, uh, you know, hard to wrap your head around, uh, illnesses. I, I, I get that. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I know a guy who has, he somehow managed to get himself to whenever he, whenever he would get the alerts that, that come through the app, you know, wherever he used to go into fear, he, yeah. he actually embraced the concept that, everything from our hair to the bilipid layer of our cells down to the helix of our DNA 
is built to take in these energies and do stuff with them. Ah. And he, he, he actually put it all together and he realized that it's absolutely true. Like, wait a minute. He does have the power to do those things. And he can, when he gets that alert, get a tiny little smile on his face and say, bring it, wait till you see what my helix does with that energy. Yeah. That's really interesting. And you know, who knows if his helix is actually doing anything with it, but he claims he's feeling better. I happen to think it's his positivity. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a wizard, but um, you know, the, the point is that, you know, it, until you actually get your head around the fact that your brain literally kicks the rules of physics and chemistry out the window just by thinking yeah. and, and it cascades from there to realize just how powerful you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree a hundred percent. So you want to talk about a micronova? Yeah, please. Let's, let's talk about that. And, and the cycles that this 12,000 year cycle and, and also the torsion. Well, model oh, no, 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 no. I don't like 12,000 year cycles because we're coming up on one of them. Well, that's the point. Exactly. That's, not that's like why problem, we're going to talk about it. You can try and, try and uh, placebo your way out of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be my next question is if maybe instead of a disaster predicting app, we need a disaster averting app. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're going to avert this one because um, <laughs> I, I kind of think that the history of these has formed who we are today. And I think that sometime 11,000 or 12,000 years from now, uh, some some better version of the human race is going to be here. Um, but uh, essentially, here's the story. We have this evidence of either a powerful magnetic excursion or a magnetic reversal about every 12,000 years. If you want to get liberal with it, you could say every 10 to 15,000 years. Uh, essentially, you notice phenomenal changes in sea level. There are inundations of the sea. Uh, into the land, basically mega tsunamis. There is an unbelievable amount of snow and ice that is dumped in an unfathomably short amount of time. And it all seems to happen at once. And so you have this problem where um, there are not a complete global extinction of everything but as very close as you can come you know very major hardships where you know anywhere from 30 to 80 percent of the life on earth dies in the event um you know the, the example where it was 80 percent um that was like seventy-two thousand years ago and it, it's thought only 40 human females survived that one uh, that hasn't happened since then, um, uh, thankfully. But um, here's here's the problem. You need to explain uh, something that can include a magnetic reversal, a phenomenal amount of heat to evaporate enough ocean water to then be dumped as snow, but which requires an unfathomable freezing right after the unfathomable injection of heat. And this is a pickle, because how in the world, I mean, how in the world do you just do those last two? How do you get an enormous injection of heat to evaporate that much water and then freeze it all and dump it as snow and ice all over the planet? And then just for fun, 
explain it while a magnetic reversal is happening. Mm. Um, and so here's the explanation. A cataclysmic solar flash, the kind of thing that is described in cave paintings and rock petroglyphs and in ancient stories, um, sends out an electric field about a hundred to a thousand times more powerful than the one that would have taken out every wire on earth today back in 1859. Yeah. The Carrington event. Luckily there was just telegraph wires, but if it happened today, uh, we're back in the stone age, something about a hundred to a thousand times bigger than that, uh, which, which scientists say is absolutely possible. Um, would would be impacting the earth and it would not be necessarily a solar super flare but possibly a micronova and that's very important because a micronova allows for the final step in the process but we'll get to that in a second so we have seen that um magnetization polarity can be reversed by a powerful enough electric field and so the sun's the only thing that could do it rapidly and so we're not talking about the very very slow magnetic crons that happen over hundreds of thousands of years these are the rapid excursions or rapid reversal events like the one that they saw happened in only 80 years from start to finish and and they and they were back to normal um so the sun can do that, and the sun, obviously, in such a blast, would also inject an incredible amount of heat into the Earth system. But there's a problem with the superflare hypothesis there. Once the heat is injected, the event is over. And the heat is just there. And you don't have a way to freeze this. And... So what do, you, what do you do from there? Well, what if the sun actually has a micronova? And so there's a major dust component to this. And so right after the highest energy particles and the X-rays and ultraviolet arrive at the speed of light and then just minutes later, a dust shell begins to block out the sun. And it lingers in the inner solar system for days to weeks. And it lingers in the upper atmosphere like a major volcanic eruption or nuclear winter for days to weeks more. Mm. Instantly dropping the solar energy input to the Earth and freezing the upper atmosphere, middle atmosphere, lower atmosphere. And then dropping it all as snow in the span of anywhere from 40 days to 10 to 14 months, which is when they think literally... Up to a thousand feet of snow could have fallen in these areas. And that really is the only explanation for this, for all of the evidence. Um, and unfortunately, there's there's much more than there's much more than that to contend with on the planet because this thing probably disrupts the low velocity zone on on Earth, and so the plates start crashing into each other. When this happened last time, Atlantis, Mew, and Lemuria fell into the sea. I don't know what lands rose up out of the sea, but some surely did. So is that a, does that cause a reversal to happen as well, the magnetic reversal? 
You know, I, it's my opinion that it would be the electric field put out by the initial solar blast that would do it. Um, and, you know, the, the reason I say that is because there are two things that are known to cause tiny jostles to the length of a day. And that are, those are major solar storms and what are known as geomagnetic jerks from the core of the planet. And um, they're microsecond glitches in the length of a day, and Earth manages to recover them within moments. You know, it, it glitches and then it glitches back. And the question is, what happens when you've got an even greater solar storm that's applying that electric field, by the way, and its induction not only goes through the crust and meets the mantle, but it makes it all the way to the core and produces the greatest geomagnetic jerk in history. It literally flips the magnetization of the entire planet all at once. Um, the low-velocity zone is a kind of a magic place on the planet. You know, we have these, we have the, the crust floating on top of a liquid mantle. Well, it doesn't act like a, it floats on a liquid mantle. It doesn't float around and knock into one another. It, it acts like it's very much locked. And that's because of this weird thermoelectric equilibrium there that can be disrupted by electromagnetic forces. If that happens, no more plasticity there. And it really is like people you'd see on life rafts in a lazy river, knocking into one another, running into walls. Maybe maybe one person isn't paying attention. They slow down a little bit and somebody goes and runs right up over them. Just so picture, mean- that, picture that in terms of the crust. So the crust just sort of lets loose. Is that sort of where, like, I mean, if 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 oil actually does come from organic sources, is that sort of why we find these deposits of it from all like the the trees getting uprooted and everything sort of ending up in a pile when it sort of stops yeah. spinning around? So they call those surge deposits. Um, Sounds awesome. Yeah, and uh, they can happen by wind. They can happen by water. They can happen by pyroclastic flow. Um, they're they're nasty things. There's one in Alaska where it literally looks like 50 million animals and 200 million plants were put into a blender and then dumped into this gigantic carboniferous fossil pile. It's just a mass heap of death that looks like literally the 30 Freddy Krueger hands just swept across the land at a thousand miles an hour, tearing everything to wow. pieces all at once. Um, and these exist all over the world. Um, but at the same time, there are also those petroglyphs I mentioned all over the world at, at various latitudes. People survive this every time. Uh, th- that's why we're here talking about it. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, that's a critical thing people need to realize. Not only do people survive it, but we all are the blood of survivors. We come from survivors. That's in our DNA. And of those survivors, they all came from survivors of a previous one. And in terms of a mechanism, because we're kind of, I know we're kind of running up on the end of it here. This is critical because this mechanism is how it happens and why it happens and how you know that it is a cycle and how you know that you can expect one to come up at the about the same time every time. You guys remember I said every two weeks, yeah. these magnetic fields come by and hit Earth from the sun. Yep. Well, 
That's because the sun has this sheet, this heliospheric current sheet. It's basically this region in between those magnetic fields in the north and the magnetic fields in the south, one streaming away from the sun, one streaming back towards the sun. It's a magnetic null zone where you're really not exposed to those fields so much, but you're exposed to a much more electrically dense and dusty region. And this causes a geomagnetic event on Earth, sometimes to the point where we can actually get a geomagnetic storm on Earth just from crossing this boundary, even if there's no solar flares or anything like that. And so the Earth as it goes around the sun once every 365 days, it actually tilts slightly from the solar equator. Seven degrees north, seven degrees south. And so it crosses the solar equator twice each year. But it gets hit with that current sheet much more quickly because the sun rotates every 28 days. And so since there's two coronal sectors, about every 14 days, every two weeks, we get hit with that current sheet now. Wait, so the sun and the moon are on the same fucking cycle? Yeah, they are. And this um, isn't a simulation you expect me to believe? Come on. How is, is there, no. Well, you know, it, it, here's the thing. So basically, that's an approximation. The, the closest approximation is 27.5 days, but... It's interesting. The poles of the sun rotate at about 30 days and the equator rotates at about 25 or 26 days. They call it differential rotation. It's a very, very strange thing we see on the sun. Um, but so uh, here's the question. Why in the world would our solar system not get hit with a galactic version of this? So Earth has, and our solar system has been in the northern hemisphere of the galaxy for 17 million years, and we are heading further north. We did not cross any galactic plane in 2012, and we are not going to cross the galactic equator for millions and millions and millions of years. We only do it twice every 250 million years. However, something tells me it doesn't take 250 million years for the central active nucleus of our galaxy to rotate. And whatever frequency it rotates, um, not necessarily the central object, but the central molecular zone. Um, that's going to be the frequency of this. And so if you think about it, in one year, if we get hit 26 times by this current sheet uh, in the solar system, in 250 million years, how many times do we get hit by the galactic current sheet? Every 12,000 years. It's probably something like that. And here's, here's the issue. So how does it, it might as well be half a procession then, no? Uh, just about. Um, maybe. It's tough. I, I think that people should, should include the apsidal procession more, which gets into some really goofy math, and it's a very uh, advanced concept. And it actually came after Milankovitch and uh, his reporting of the Milankovitch cycle. So Milankovitch never knew about apsidal procession, uh, which is an interesting topic. But... Here's, here's the critical part, because this is how we know it's going to happen. Everywhere we see these things, at the planetary level, they don't really ripple a whole lot. They're pretty flat. At Saturn, you see it as, a, as, as its rings. They, the planet Jupiter uh, and even Earth may have um, dusty rings as well that are just very, very diffuse and faint and hard to see. Yeah. And so we know in the solar system— 
that when you cross into that area where you're not exposed to the magnetic fields as much, but it's much more energetic electrically, and you have all that dust there, and you get geomagnetic problems on the planet Earth. Well, let's, let's scale that up to the sun. You get a lot more charged particles. You get a lot more dust, and you get a solar magnetic disruption. Now, the reason why those things are especially important is because there are known recurring nova in our galaxy and others. Nova doesn't necessarily mean the end of a star. There are ones that go boom over and over and over again. Wow. And they say the way they do that is that dust and gases are being pulled off of a nearby binary star and are accumulating on the surface. And then all of a sudden, can't take it anymore, and it blasts off the shell only to wait to do it again. Now, they also say that since they have seen these things on cycles from as little as one year to as long as 92 years, they are certain that there are some that are hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, and that's what we'd be talking about with the sun. And since the sun doesn't have a binary to be doing that, the sun would need to encounter a lot more dust and ions and plasma which is going to be hiding in that galactic current sheet in between the magnetic sectors of north and south. Not on the equator, but on that rippling sheet that comes through the galaxy. It's going to be full of dust. It's going to accumulate through the solar system. And at the same time that's happening, there's going to be an electromagnetic surge to the sun, just like what happens geomagnetically on Earth when we pass through that plane. Hmm. Um, and so... Um, so doesn't precession kind of allude to the fact that we could be a binary of some sort? Um, maybe, but uh, the binary would have to be much closer to be uh, putting the material on there. Um, if we do have uh, a binary, it's, uh, it's about as far away as it gets right now. Um, there's certainly nothing anywhere, even inside of the heliosphere. Um, it's really tough to say. Uh, the best known example of an actual crossing plant, crossing planet and crossing star system that we know of is the Shoals star system, which actually came by 70,000 years ago during that terrible event. It is a red binary, and it basically crossed through our solar system 72,000 years ago. Toba blew. Um, there was wow. a bottle. Only 40 human females survived. Um, it, it's now... A, I think seven or 17 light years away. It's, it's seven or 17. I can't remember off the top of my head. I didn't expect to be talking about it. Sorry. That's okay. I, I, no, that's okay. So where, where are we at from the last one? Then? Like yeah. When, when, when I need to know when, before we let this, you go here, this, unfortunately, uh, the, I don't like looking back in time. I like looking at earth's magnetic field because earth's magnetic field has already started the process, which means that we are, entering that current sheet um earth's magnetic field has begun to weaken and its weakening has been accelerating over time the magnetic north and south poles have been moving and the movement uh, towards one another has been accelerating over time and the fact that we are indeed yes about 11 or 12,000 years since the last one is not very comforting but to me um we have evidence of 
the magnetic poles moving around slowly every 2,000 years or so. When they start moving quickly like this, it's when they also start losing their strength, and that's when we actually see the major events. That's what we're seeing now. This is not a slow meander over the over the long period of time. We are due by every stretch of the imagination, uh, however you look at it. And um, there's even some evidence that the last time this happened, humans were uh, starting to get a little bit like we are now. Uh, and I don't necessarily <laughs> mean in any of the good ways. And um, everything down to, uh, I don't know if you guys believe in um, intentional symbolism through mainstream channels, or maybe if it's just the accident uh, and harmony of the universe. But yep. there's, there's a guy who gets called an Illuminati mouthpiece all the time. He's a rapper named Pharrell. Um, and he did the entire soundtrack to the Despicable Me children's cartoons and, and the, those, those Minions movies. And for the third one, the entire soundtrack is basically describing how terrible humans are and how the catastrophe is coming. It plays in the background of this movie the entire time. And my favorite line of the whole thing, when the stupid gets injected, the starlight is the best disinfectant. <laughs> Just let them sun dry. And um, I, I don't know if he's an Illuminati mouthpiece. I, I happen to believe that the universe is going to be playing this up for us to see on many, many different levels. Um, but there could not be a more apropos way to describe um What's and, uh, we're about to get defragged. Yeah. So, so where yeah. are we? Get, where well, am I headed? Where am I? On, hang on a sec. I got a couple questions here before we're, we're going to run out of time. Yeah, I'm I know trying to survive the fucking end of the world here. So it really puts things into perspective. It really does. That you know, there's bigger things to to worry about than some of the the surface distractions that we've got. Uh, you know, the whole world in a tizzy about over other other types of climate disasters so does it i thought i heard you say in your video somewhere ben that you know we were talking about the randall uh, carlson and graham hancock theory about the you know cometary impact uh, helping accelerate the end of the last ice age now somehow this might still that the theory that you just talked about with the micronovas might fit in right i mean could could the micronova not act as a comet hitting the earth in different uh, areas so there's going to be um not only all of the dust that's blasted out, but it's going to have been interacting uh, with the material and the gases that are already around the sun. There's going to be large chunks that blow off from the get-go, and there's going to be chunks that agglomerate, cool, and condense, and solidify on their way through the yes. through the of space. And so the crazy thing is these are going to be spectrally continuous they are going to sh they're going to have all of the elements they're going to have transuranic elements they're going to have crazy isotopes um the exact kind of stuff you'd see in impactors as well well i'm pretty sure randall carlson said like all the what from what he said it looked like the the meteors came from the direction of the sun <laughs> yeah and so there um there's no way you get out of I mean, every picture you see of the recurring Nova, the ones where the star survives, it's just blasting off a shell. It looks like a mixture of a full surface coronal mass ejection with meteors. Yeah, yeah. So Excellent. speaking of the Illuminati, now answer us this. Let's get a little New Zealand, conspiratorial right? till we, before we leave. 
So they knew about these cycles, the evidence of these cycles every 12,000 years. Apparently, the CIA, it might even have some, you know, some reason uh, why NASA, NASA, NASA was started. So is that why the all is. these underground, uh, yes. you know, towns and bunkers are being built? Because somebody is expecting something like this to happen? Yeah, so that is, uh, that is absolutely, um, it's a topic we don't have time to yeah, dive exactly. in. Yeah, exactly. The, the CIA um, not only covered up the the truest version that was out back then, but they put out a version uh, intentionally um, and posthumously posthumously used Einstein's forward, um, which he did write for them, um, to basically put out a nonsense version that would be easily debunked and people would start looking the other way. And so essentially what they wanted us to do was not get in their way of trying to figure out how to actually not only survive this, but have a continuity of our species and a continuity of the country, the United States of the world type thing after this is over. Um, and, and another way of thinking about that is they want to protect their their cattle and their sheep, which is us, which is why they can fit 100 million people in the ones we know about. And I don't think we know about all the ones exactly. underground. Oh, well, I thought awesome. like New Zealand was going to be okay, and that's why they just took everyone's guns. Dude, I, there, there is nowhere that is remotely islandish that is okay. Like, <laughs> it's got to so, be deep underground. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. You got to find a cave that's up near the top of the tallest mountains in New Zealand that goes way down and then comes back up somewhere, but doesn't breach the surface. So it's an air pocket because a wave's coming over the entire. The entire thing of New Zealand. Okay, so if, what about so what if? Okay, I got. I think I have a spot. I, I know of a little cave out here in the Kananaskas. We're probably mile and a half above sea level. We can pile in there. Sounds like a plan. All Sounds right. like a. Plan. All right. Well, you, that's a good you spot to leave when, off. You tell us when. I'll pick you and your family up at the airport. We'll head to the cave. It's about a forty-five minute drive. The sun's gonna tell you when. <laughs> but right. then I'm only gonna have eight minutes. Yeah, well, just put your hat on. Put your tin foil. Put your Faraday foil hat, hat on. Yeah. Put your Faraday cage on. We should start bunkering up the studio. Yeah. I, I suggest when that happens, realize how much energy is coming, and you turn on your harp. You All turn right, on yeah. between your ears because that's going to be your best chance ever to to actually transform that energy into what you want, what you need. Yeah, however you want to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, awesome. I love, I love thinking about it that way. That's weeks, great. Weeks, months, years. And here's, here's, here's the interesting thing about the universe is um, around the time that the people were writing those stories about how terrible things got on Earth and they couldn't do anything but blame gods, it's around the same time they spoke of, uh, of magicians and monsters and other things like that. Uh, and it's too coherent of a story across the entire planet. And you look back at that time and Earth's magnetism was probably changing uh, very rapidly around that time. And I think that we respond in these ways a lot more than we realize. So much of our brains that is inactive, so much of the DNA that they don't know how to turn on and they would never know how to turn on is just going to turn on. It's the kind of thing where at the time of the test, or, or rather, at when it's time for us to have a little bit of a battle with nature, we are going to be granted some of our weapons back. I love it. Wow. 
That's fantastic. On top of that, you just got to let me uh, get this one last thing out. And that is the evidence is also clear that people survive all over the planet. I said that already. But what you got to realize is next time it happens, barring some grand disclosure of this or whatever, the vast majority of people are going to be petrified and a very, very few are going to be prepared. That's got to be you. How prepared? Very prepared. Just like have some food and stuff or just like on a, on a mental level? Food, water, seeds, pre-industrial tools, books on how to do everything possible without electricity, physician's handbook, books on natural childbirth unless you don't want uh, your DNA to go on. Uh, because you're not going to have hospitals or doctors or anything like that. You need to know where waterways are. You need to have maps. You need to know where caves are or old mines. Uh, you need to know whether you're bugging in or bugging out. When this happens, you don't have time to go through these mental exercises. Right. Yeah. When it happens, you need to know those hundred answers to those hundred questions immediately. Is there any resources you know what we on should your do? site for that? We need just uh, you go to our site and you download the whole survival kit. It's 6,000 pages. There's some pictures. So the, I went over a lot of it in the Earth Catastrophe Cycle series. I am turning it into a movie right now, and I'm going to put all that stuff in there. Wow, great. Fantastic. So do you Let have all this stuff already? Up. Right. I'm sorry? Do you have all this stuff already? I've got a lot of it, yeah. Okay, we need, we need a list. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> Start sending seeds to the P.O. box. <laughs> Send right your on. seeds to the P.O. box. So, uh, yeah, we'll go some cannabis, because we can trade cannabis for anything in the new world. there's a lot that can be traded alcohol to flour so uh, i'm gonna go put my kids to sleep but guys great talking yeah thanks man let us know when that movie comes out right on all right take care bye-bye bye and that was a chat with ben davidson wow what a doozy fantastic yeah it sounds uh sounds uh utterly terrifying I, I didn't get the, I didn't get the uh, from watching his videos in his channel and studying up on this a little bit. I didn't get the the spiritual aspect, so that was a good surprise for me to get into. That's awesome. Kind of fits in with what we've been talking about lately, the intention experiments and all that. And uh, it, it flew by. I mean, there's lots of stuff we could have talked about too. I wanted to get into some more questions from from Adam, but uh, it just flew by. The only way to make it is to see what is to be positive and see what's coming as a healing process. Yeah. All right. Burn this. And, m- and get your maps and your books and learn how to cut the umbilical cord. Well, you know what I was thinking is we got the sea can. We might as well have it full of stuff. It is full of stuff. It's full of junk. <laughs> well, that says that says really gonna be junk if the world ends. You open that thing up, and that's what you've got left. But it's probably worth putting a little thing together. And I like how he said, "You got to know whether to bug in or bug out. Do you do you go to the mountains or do you hunker down in your in your crawl space or whatever? You know." I think we meet here. Well, yeah, we this, could start. Yeah, might as well die in the studio. <laughs> Well, we can bring, well, we, well, I think it'll probably just be us in this neighborhood. We've got the little thing. We bring the families here. We'll stash some guns. Maybe we don't need any guns. Oh, you keep saying that we don't need guns in the apocalypse. And I'm telling you, a couple guns are going to be good to have, whether it's for self-defense or Just meat. hunting meat, yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to start hunting meat in the new world, Graham. Uh, okay, I'll accept it then. Okay. If it comes to survival, like real, like. That's what I got to do. 
Okay. Well, we need, uh, we're going to need some seeds and stuff. Send the list. We'll start collecting the books. Maps. Maps. Books on how to farm without electricity and do all that stuff. We got to get out of here if it happens. Because you can't grow nothing here. You can't hunt nothing here. And there's a million people right across the street. Maybe head north. North, south. Or west or east are all sparsely populated. Depends on the weather. If it's cold, you head south. Straight up. You know what else? We need an old, like, 57 Chevy truck that doesn't have any electronics in it with a slip tank in the back. A full tank of gas. Full full blown road we're here. Yeah, and away we go. We're going everywhere. We got the speakers in the back. And we go, we pull an old fifth wheel behind us. Away we go. We're taking the show on the road. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for li- listening. Huge uh, thanks to Ben for coming on the yep, show. That was great. Uh, check out suspiciousobservers.com. Check out, the app. check out his app. Support him if you can. Support us if you can. Grimerica.ca slash support. And um, yeah, all that fun stuff. Help us keep the show 100% listener supported and growing. Uh, we got the new Wirecast software for the live stream, which I think is working okay. I did get a tooth pulled yesterday, so it might oh, yeah. sound How'd a little it funny. It, it, went, it was fucking terrible. <laughs> you know talk. what I found out? I found out today. Oh, we've got direct billing now. The oh, did I? You son to of a bitch. <laughs> nice. The day after, so you can't get your like plasma blood with your stem cells back in your tooth hole. Actually, did John told me that I should try and find a dentist that does that. Because I could still have some problems. Huh? He told me that yesterday. Didn't they just, I just found out today they have direct billing. So oh, thanks. Yeah, it was terrible. It was a terrible experience. They had to break it into three oh, pieces. Oh, did they? They, oh. Just, they had to it was put their knee on your shoulder and start reefing it out? It, was, it took about an hour and a half. I kept my sense of humor, but it was tough. And then when the freezing wore off, I was pretty grumpy. It's tough when you're grumpy. When, when you're in pain like that, especially in my face, it's tough to just not be miserable. Anyway, grammarica.ca slash support. Help me be less miserable. That helps. And uh, check out everything else in the show notes. Support everything in the show notes. And uh, be kind to each other. Grammarica.ca slash chats for some social media that doesn't suck. What else? Badcomet.com. I think there's one spot left. They won't, they won't hear that in time. That's right. You won't <laughs> hear that in time. Ignore that. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Oh no, I think I've lost my way. Don't know if I'll ever make it back. Look at me, I'm no longer solid. I am abstract. I blow on my survival whistle, point to the horizon. Mercy me, it's so surprising. My world is still intact. I fell out of a hot air balloon and landed flat on a raccoon. SOS, help me soon. SOS, help me soon. Gotta find shelter. I feel like this caterpillar is mocking me in his cocoon. Who made the fire in Plato's cave? Made the fire in Plato's cave. Never thought that I'd be saved. Never thought.
safe Who made the fire in Plato's cave? Made the fire in Plato's cave Never thought that I'd be safe Never thought that I'd be safe Till you Came along Freed me And loved me And shared with me The beauty of your world I've lost my way Don't know if I'll ever Make it back Look at me, I'm no longer solid I am abstract I blow on my survival whistle Point to the horizon Mercy me, it's so surprising My world is still intact Think I ate a poisonous mushroom Fell on my bottom, went boom boom My tummy hurts, my head aches Where are my angels, for goodness sakes? Did I pray to the wrong deity? At least let me die with dignity who made the fire in Plato's cave? Made the fire in Plato's cave. Never thought that I'd be saved. Never thought that I'd be saved. Who made the fire in Plato's cave? Made the fire in Plato's cave. Never thought that I'd be saved. Never thought that I'd be saved till you came along and freed me and loved me and shared with me the beauty of. Shared with me the beauty of your